0: Hi, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. It's our last week of September, and that means we're fully immersed into the spooky spirit. You can expect lots of surprises from us, and we look forward to having the best Halloween season so far. Make sure you're following us across all socials and over on our YouTube channel so you don't miss a minute of the creepy fun. Advancements in the medical field have been nothing short of miraculous. Doctors can cure all types of diseases and ease the pain of the unwell, but going to a hospital can be scary. They are filled with the sick, dying, and spirits of the already dead. Surrounded by all that death makes you question, if you go in, will you get out alive? First, healing the devil, followed by a malicious imposter, then a tortured replacement. Finally, in our featured story, The Dead Don't Leave. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon, as a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcast or weekly video stories. Visit Patreon.com/snarled. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So, want to hear something scary? Horror in the Hospital You have to be sure the people you try to help are worthy of being saved. If not, you may end up as the victim. Like in this story written by Janine Pipe. Nurses have a duty of care. We have to help people, and we do, no matter the danger. But sometimes we don't realize what that danger is until it's too late. It was a usual busy afternoon shift when they brought in patient A. It was a car crash victim with severe trauma, the only survivor. She had a police escort, but they didn't tell us why. To be honest, I didn't care. My job was to treat her and make her more comfortable before and after surgery. It didn't matter if she was some sort of special witness or criminal. There were whispers that the cops had found something odd in the trunk, but it was nothing more than break room gossip to me. She didn't regain consciousness before the operation, and that was a good thing. She must have been in an extraordinary amount of pain. Thankfully, the surgery was a success, and various parts were sewn up and reattached. In fact, the doctors were astounded at how well it had gone and that patient A was extremely likely to make a complete recovery in record time. She was still kept in the medical coma, though, not only to help her body but also to protect her. She needed to be told about the others, the ones who didn't make it. My shift was due to end at midnight and I was looking forward to it. My feet were sore and I never much liked driving when it was dark out. At least it was a clear sky, perfect for stargazing and the moon. Around 11 p.m. I was seated at the nurse's desk filing in some paperwork. It was mainly quiet by then, the majority of patients sleeping and visitors long gone. It wasn't unusual to hear groaning or whimpering from the beds as medication and painkillers wore off or kicked in but the sounds coming from patient A's room were not like I'd been expecting. She should have been silent, just the sounds of the machines surrounding her, keeping her alive and for the time being, peaceful and pain-free. Right now, it was the opposite of silent. There was screaming, ripping, tearing, banging and clanging of machines. I hit the alarm button on the desk summoning any available staff to come help when I noticed the police officer who was posted outside of her door wasn't there. My initial thought was that he had snuck off for a coffee and someone had gotten into patient aid's room. Maybe she was a star witness in a drug case or something. And then I heard the howl. I couldn't have known at the time. I didn't realize how many people I had sent to certain death. The alarm brought security, doctors, and orderlies. They all rushed straight into the room to help, straight into the carnage, into the blood and destruction, into the torn bodies and discarded limbs, into the jaws of the wolf. Turns out the something odd in the trunk was a whole bunch of chains and padlocks made of silver. To think I'd been pleased it was a full moon as I thought it would make the drive home a little easier. But then I hadn't expected to be dealing with a werewolf. Turns out, patient A, known as Aurelia to her pack, was on her way to a compound with her human helpers where, once a month, she spends the night chained and padlocked in an underground cell so she won't hurt anyone. Only they hadn't foreseen the accident or that instead of being imprisoned by Silver, she would be very free and healing inhumanely fast in a hospital bed. She tore staff and other patients to pieces before jumping out of the window into the night. I have no idea where she went, but I guess I'll find out soon. At the moment, I'm also in a hospital bed, a patient rather than a nurse this time. I also have an armed guard. As the sole survivor of the attack, they need to keep an eye on me and treat my wounds. I'm also about to have a psychoval. I just hope they know their lore. I do. Therefore, I know exactly where I'll be next full moon. Have you ever tried to help someone, but it backfired? And what would you do if you came face-to-face with a werewolf? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that. because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot In Arab culture, many djinns can be good, but there are also evil ones who love to feed on the agony and torment of humans to feed to the seitan, the spirit of Satan like in this story inspired by Zara. Zane and Arya were teens who never had the chance to meet their grandfather. He died before they were born. Their grandmother always told them wonderful stories about him. When she fell ill, they went to visit her in St. Louisas. It was their first time in a hospital and the whole place gave them the creeps. They walked through the icy cold halls filled with the echoes of medical equipment and groans of the sick. I wonder how many people have died here, Arya said, shivering, thinking of spirits wandering the halls. Well, let's find out, Zane replied with a mischievous grin. Arya watched as Zane unzipped his backpack to reveal a black and ivory wooden Ouija board. Arya gasped in disbelief. What the hell was he thinking buying something like that and bringing it into a place where so many people have died? I found it in Graham's wardrobe along with these pictures of grandfather. I thought we should take it to her to see if she wants to play or something. I just thought it would be nice. Zane shrugged and carried on walking. Arya shook her head but left it at that. When they arrived at their gram's room, she was sitting up on her bed watching TV and peeling a tangerine. She looked at them and was overcome with joy. They both took turns hugging her, chatting about school and life. Arya handed her gram a turquoise necklace that her grandfather had given her. We all miss him so much. Graham was overjoyed to have it at the hospital with her. Zane jumped in, adding, I have something for you too. He pulled out the Ouija board and his Graham dropped the necklace. Her face drained of color and she began speaking in Urdu, her native tongue. The machine started beeping as her heart rate spiked. Aria cried, Are you okay, Graham? As two nurses rushed in, telling the teens to leave, Zane grabbed his bag and the board. With trembling hands, Graham mumbled to Arya, I swore I burnt it. I swore I burnt it. And with that, the door was closed in their faces. Traumatized, the teens stood there. They didn't want to just leave. They wanted to stay and be sure their Graham was all right. Then they heard a whisper coming from the stairs at the end of the hallway where they saw a sign reading, Chapel. They slipped down the corridor and went into the room. It was meant to be a calming place with cushioned benches and crosses, but it felt eerie. Zane and Arya threw their stuff on the ground and laid on the benches. They hated seeing their gram that way and it made it even worse to not know why. I just wanted to show her the stuff and ask what really happened to grandpa, Zane sighed. Hey Zane, Arya whispered. He could hear the fear in the voice, so he sat up and looked at her. She pointed to the Ouija board which had spilled out of his bag. The planchette was moving. It began to spell out, I am here. Grandpa. The two looked at each other with nervous excitement. They put their hands on the planchette and asked if it was really him. When the planchette moved to yes, Arya got a chill down her spine. The whisper started again and a bad feeling flowed through her. She shot Zane a warning look. They needed to be sure that this was the spirit of their grandfather and not a bad djinn serving as the Saitan, the devil. She asked the board, Do you remember the necklace you gave Graham for her 21st birthday? The spirit spelled out, T-U-R-Q-U-O-I-S-E Zane breathed a sigh of relief when he noticed Arya's eyes go wide. She knew that her grandparents met when they were 24 years old. He could not have given her a necklace for her 21st birthday. "'Why are you lying? What do you want?' Arya demanded, now realizing they were talking to a malevolent djinn. They watched closely as the planchette moved again. It spelled out, "'I want your grandmother, just like I took your grandfather.'" With that, the two teens jumped up and without saying a word, they ran as fast as they could down the hallway to the Graham's room. But it was too late. The nurses had covered her up. She was dead. They couldn't let the Saitan get to anyone else. They raced back to the chapel, but they were too late again. Despite searching high and low, it was gone. And they knew it would be already looking for its next victim. Have you ever tried communicating with a loved one through a Ouija board? Were you able to do it? Or did something malicious or supernatural intervene? Just outside of Philadelphia is a center that is supposed to help people heal, but it's doing more damage than anything else, based on a true story inspired by Peter. The following events were experienced between June 2009 and August 2010 It's taken me this long to be able to process and tell my story. In April 2009, I took a position as a staff nurse at a drug and alcohol rehab center. It was originally built as a family farmhouse in 1916 and converted into a rehab facility in 1966 with the help of Celebrity Donations. Since I would be on the overnight shift, one of my many responsibilities was medical chart checks on the bottom floor of the building. It was connected by a corridor if you could call it that, to the original part of the old farmhouse. It was poorly built with a cracked brick and emitted an eerie vibe, with a dank smell and a dim light. You couldn't even get cell phone service down there. But I never let my imagination get the better of me. I was told by colleagues if I heard or saw anything, not to worry as they were benevolent. When I asked who was benevolent, they simply replied, the spirits. Of course, being educated in business and the sciences, I never believed any of it and laughed it off. I would even joke as I'd enter rooms. Knock, knock, any ghost in here? I would later regret that. I soon realized when I wasn't working, the charts wouldn't get completed. When I asked about this, I learned everyone else who had worked there refused to go down into the basement at night. Apparently, the only nurse who had dared died of a sudden heart attack That was why there was a job opening in the first place. God, I wish I had never seen the listing. The occurrences were insidious at first, occurring between 12.30 and 3.30 a.m. I would always leave the small office door open so I could hear if someone called me from the top of the stairs. They were just about 40 feet from my office down the hall and the only way in and out of the basement. One night, the office door slammed shut and I heard footsteps coming down the hall. It was a welcome surprise. Finally, one of my coworkers decided to conquer their fear, but although I waited, no one appeared. When I walked down the hall to check, it was empty. I presumed someone was playing a trick on me, or perhaps it was even a lost patient who took a wrong turn or was trying to get away. But as I asked around, no one had any idea what I was talking about. No one except for Evelyn, who turned white when I asked if she knew who was playing pranks on me, trying to freak me out. She was really quiet, then whispered, It's happening again. Apparently, this was the exact same thing the nurse before me had experienced. The one who died. I told Evelyn in no uncertain terms that I would not be bullied or freaked out by a co-worker, ghost or otherwise. I didn't believe in that stuff. The thing is... The sounds of slamming doors and mysterious footsteps continued. I tried to rationalize it by saying I was tired and my mind was playing tricks on me. But these occurrences slowly increased in frequency. When something was about to happen, I would feel a tingling in my spine. One night, I distinctly heard a toilet flushing. There was no bathroom anywhere near my office. I started waiting for the door to slam so I could run out and see who it was. No one was ever there. I wanted to lock the door, but no one knew where the key was. Instead, I tied a rope to hold the door closed, but I would still hear the footsteps. So many footsteps. When the orderlies finally came to remove me, I'd been in the basement for four days straight with no food or water. They said I locked myself in without a key. They said I'd driven myself insane. Evelyn said it was the spirits. I still dream about them, but I know they're not real. Not real. I've been over this in therapy for years, so that's what I keep telling myself. They're not real. They're not real. They're not real. Have you ever tried to brave your fears and tell yourself it's not real? Did it ever end up driving you insane? In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of horror in a hospital inspired by Chloe and now animated over on our YouTube channel.
1: Dr. Polinski was walking out of the hospital when a nurse called for help. She was exhausted from a double shift and just wanted to get home. But her kind nature got the better of her. She rushed back inside and saw that a victim of a chemical accident needed immediate abdominal surgery. Dr. Polinski jumped right in. Halfway through the surgery, the doctor noticed the patient's blood was a strange color. She called over another doctor to observe. Suddenly, torrents of blood started spewing from the patient's guts. The room was dripping and no one could control it. The man died on the table. Dr. Polinski pronounced him dead at 11, 11 p.m. She placed a red wristband on the man to indicate that the body needed to be transported to the morgue. Dr. Polinsky was exhausted. With her head held low, she entered the elevator. There was just one other woman inside, also going down. As they waited for the doors to close, a patient was shuffling towards the elevator. Dr. Polinsky glanced up and froze in horror. She must be seeing things. She looked again, then... With sheer panic she began repeatedly pounding the close the door button just as the patient's bony pale hand reached out towards them the elevator doors slammed shut the fellow passenger reprimanded the doctor for being so rude why would she not wait to let the elderly patient in on the elevator dr polinsky replied a voice shaking that patient just just died on on the operating table Dr. Polinski asked if the woman had seen the red wristband on his arm, confirming he was dead. You mean something like this? The passenger said, smiling, revealing her own red wristband. The doctor froze and took a deep breath. That's when she noticed the stench filling up on the tiny space. It was dried blood. Drips of sweat slowly trickled down her face. She tried to open the elevator doors, but while pressing the buttons, the lights went out. All she could make out in the dark were the woman's glowing red eyes. There was a sudden snapping sound and the elevator started to freefall. They could see a flash of light every time they passed a floor through the tiny gaps in the doors. There was nowhere to run. There was no one to hear her scream. The woman got closer to her with every flash of light. The doctor backed against the door until the last moment when the elevators came to a stop. Dr. Polinski racing down the hall, she slammed doors shut while hearing them reopen behind her. Out of breath and at a dead end, she turned around. She was face to face with bulging, blood-red eyes and the crooked smile of the woman from the elevator. The woman reached out her bony, pale hand to grab the doctor, whose eyes were locked on her red wristband. And then she hit the floor. Dr. Polinski woke up in a daze, laying in a hospital bed. She looked around her frantically for signs of someone she knew. Why was she on a bed? How did she get there? A nurse was writing some notes down on a clipboard. Dr. Polinski called the nurse, asking what had happened. Not looking up from her notes, the nurse explained that the maintenance man found her lying on the floor on the elevator. No permanent damage, just a heat stroke. She would be fine. What a relief. She must have been hallucinating. Nothing had happened after all. The nurse told Dr. Polinski she was in good hands now. And when the nurse turned to face Dr. Polinski, her red eyes shone as she began to place a red wristband on the screaming patient's hand.
0: This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange audio edited and mixed by fitz harris additional audio editing by calvin linderman art and graphics by irma richardson produced by anna Villalobos. executive produced by gail gilman music by Sapphire Sindalo and calvin linderman if you have a story you'd like to submit send me an email at something at snarl.com don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>